Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm so glad that you joined me today. And if I sound like I have a cold, I really have allergies. Because I have found, come to find that this has now been the worst season for allergies that Arizona has had. So if you're struggling with allergies, I'm with you there. So we are going to talk about this really new topic that I have just uh, written. And I presented it a, a couple of months ago at a mental health seminar. And this is called Actually Helping the One You Love. And I think this is going to be very helpful for many of you because mental illnesses, terminal illness, chronic illness, um, whatever that may be, we have somebody in our life that is struggling with something that just doesn't seem to go away. And there's lots of things that go into that issue. There's lots of problems, there's lots of complications, and there's lots of heartache. And so we're going to talk today about actually helping the one that you love and what God has to say about that, how he explains it, and the many different metaphors and ways that we're going to look at this from lots of different parables in the Bible and lots of different stories. And so I think it's going to be encouraging. And what I decided to do was actually take two weeks on this so that we didn't rush it. So we're going to do part of it today and then next week, next Sunday, you're going to hear it again. And you're going to hear the, the last part of it. So the way I like to start this, this, um, this whole idea of actually helping that loved one, because we all have good intentions and we want to do really well, but many times we get frustrated, we get worried, we get scared, we get burned out, we get tired, we get angry, we get really sad, we feel rejected, we feel discarded, we feel unappreciated. I mean, the list goes on as to what can happen and what you might experience when you are loving someone that is struggling with an illness, any type of illness. And I want to also encourage those of you that are struggling with anything that is chronic, this um, message will also help because it might give you some insight on how people feel that are trying to help you, and it might give you ways to actually help them actually help you. So we're going to start today with the story of the Good Samaritan because this is just an amazing parable in so many ways as to what God's template for helping really is. So I'm going to read you this story. So I want you to sit back and relax and enjoy the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 20, uh, 37, and it is out of the voice um, version. So verse 25 says, Just then a scholar of the Hebrew scriptures tried to trap Jesus, the scholar. He says, Teacher, what must I do to experience the eternal life? And Jesus, answering with a question, said, What is written in the Hebrew scriptures? How do you interpret their answer to your question? The scholar said, You shall love. Love the eternal one, your God, with everything you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and 
love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, perfect. Your answer is correct. Follow these commands and you will live. Now, the scholar was frustrated by this response because he was hoping to make himself appear smarter than Jesus. So the scholar said, ah, but who is my neighbor? Now, in, in this particular time, the Jewish culture, there was many different ways to explain what a neighbor was. A neighbor might be your best friends. A neighbor might be just your family. A neighbor might be your community. A neighbor might be your culture. So this is why the scholar is saying, ah, but I, I, you need to clarify for me who my neighbor is. Because what we know of the death and the resurrection of Christ is that our neighbor, he made our neighbor be our world. So everybody in the world is considered our neighbor. But at this time in the Jewish culture, that was not the case. So the scholar was saying, ah, but, but really, you know, who is my neighbor? So Jesus, instead of answering the question directly, gave him a story. And this is what Jesus says. He says, this fellow was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho when some robbers mugged him. They took his clothes, beat him to a pulp, and left him naked and bleeding in critical condition. By chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw the wounded man, he crossed over to the other side and passed by. Then a Levite, who was on his way to assist in the temple, also came, saw the victim lying there. He, too, kept his distance. Then a despised, because you have to see, the Samaritans were considered a despised people at this time. Then a despised Samaritan journeyed by. When he saw the fellow, he felt compassion for him. The Samaritan went over to him, stopped the bleeding, applied first aid, put the poor fellow on his donkey, and brought the man to an inn and cared for him through the night. Verse 26. Just then, the scholar of the Hebrew Scriptures tried to trap Jesus. And we see that he tried to trap Jesus. And so what happens in this story is Jesus continues, and he says the next day the Samaritan took out some money, two days' wages to be exact, paid the innkeeper, saying, Please take care of this fellow, and if this isn't enough, I'll repay him the next time I pass through. And Jesus says, Which of these three proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? And the scholar said, The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, Well then, go behave like that Samaritan. So that is going to be the motto for the show. That's the motto for what we are going to do with the people that we love that are struggling. We are going to go and behave like the Samaritan. So let's look at this story a little bit more deeply. Because it's really imperative that we look at this. We see the three different people in this story. And all three of them saw the man, but only one stopped. We also see that the scholar who was trying to make himself, remember, appear smarter than Jesus and trying to trap Jesus, said this very interesting thing. He said the good Samaritan was actually, the good neighbor was actually the one who showed mercy to him. So I want you to, to look at the difference between mercy and grace. Because grace is, is wonderful. It's this, it's this unrelenting, inexhaustible grace that we get from God. And that is the grace to work out our life. Mercy, on the other hand, is immediate. So grace and mercy are not necessarily the same thing, although they both come from God. 
So grace is what we receive that we do not deserve, while mercy is what we get. And, and it's, it, mercy is what we, we do not get that we do deserve. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit confusing. So he gives one grace and withholds other mercy, and that is why we ought to give thanks to God for his goodness. See, what we do to deserve is the, what, what we really deserve, if we look at this really well, is the wrath of God. So mercy is that we don't get that wrath. That's mercy. We don't get the wrath. Grace is we get something that we actually don't deserve. So grace is like giving somebody a birthday present on their birthday. I mean, what did they do to be born, right? But we celebrate their birthday anyways, and we give them all these gifts. So that's like what grace is. So if you look at it this way, let's say somebody um, is caught uh, driving under the influence They stand before the judge. The judge says, this is the third time you've been in front of me. You're going to jail. You're not getting out. And what the person does is he throws himself at the mercy of the judge. And the judge says, okay, I'm going to give you mercy. You're not going to jail. That's mercy. You don't get what you deserve. Then what he says is he's going to now give this person grace. So he says, you're going to 90 meetings in 90 days And you're going to come back to my court and show me that you are sober. If you show me that, you do not then have to go to jail. So he gives him mercy in the moment to work out grace. So this is why this is so important. When when this this young scholar said to Jesus, well, the person, the, the person that was actually the neighbor showed mercy. See, what we think many times is that this, this person that might be sick might deserve what they get. And, and what we want to remind ourselves is that's not, that not, isn't necessarily the case. When, in fact, maybe they do, maybe they've done something to create whatever condition that they're in. But God, is, is in his grace and mercy, is saying we must first give to people mercy, which means we don't give them what they deserve. So if they deserve consequence, if they deserve to be thrown out, if they deserve, well, you know, you made your bed, you lie in it, then God is saying, I want you to have a spirit of mercy with this person. It's up for God to decide, for him to judge. It doesn't mean we don't practice boundaries, and we're going to really talk a lot about boundaries and how to have good boundaries, which means that many times good boundaries is natural and logical consequences. But in the moment that this Samaritan walked up to this person on the side of the road, the first thing he gave him was mercy. So who knows what the story is? Probably in that culture, hey, if, if you were stupid enough to walk down this road because this is one of the most dangerous roads uh, on the way to the, 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 the Samaritan was walking on the way to Jerusalem. This was the most dangerous, scariest road there was. So many times, part of, part of looking at somebody on the side of the road is, hey, well, if you were here, you were dumb enough to get yourself in this situation. You deserve what you've got. So this Samaritan did not look at this gentleman this way. He first and foremost gave him mercy. So the first thing we see about being a Samaritan is that not only do we, we, we stop, all right, we notice what happens. See, these three people that saw this man on the side of the road noticed. We see that in the scriptures. They all noticed. Only the Samaritan stopped. So the Samaritan noticed, he stopped, and he gave him mercy. And we're going to see as we come back after this break 
that he actually then affords him some grace as well. So when we're looking at this, I want you to, to read um, this story for yourself and read it in many different um, translations because it's very fascinating, the depth of what this story entails and what it's telling us. And so when we come back on the break, we're going to look at the Good Samaritan. And when Jesus said, which of these proved himself a neighbor to the man who mugged the robbers? And the scholar said, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus said, well, go and behave like that Samaritan. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue to talk about what is truly a good neighbor and how you actually help the one that you love. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and thank you so much for joining me today. We are talking about the Good Samaritan, and the title of this show is actually helping the one you love. And I don't know anybody that doesn't have somebody in their life that is struggling with something that is chronic. And so this show is really going to talk about how you actually help that person, how you do it well, how you honor God in the process. And we're, we're looking right now at the story of the Good Samaritan because it is such a great template for God, how God sets up just some, some really good reference points and boundaries for how you help the one you love. So we, t- we read the story of the Good Samaritan, and the thing that we identified is that at the very end of the story, Jesus said, so who, who, is, who is the good neighbor? And, and the young scholar said to Christ, the one who showed him mercy. And we talked about this idea of grace and mercy, and that mercy is God withholding the very thing you deserve. And grace is giving you something you don't deserve. Now, I know that sounds very confusing, but I gave the example of the drunk driver throws himself at the mercy of the court, who should be going immediately to jail, and the judge gives him mercy. So the judge says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And then the judge extends him grace and says, you have 90 days to clean up your act. You're going to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. You come back to my court. You show me that you're sober, and you've gone to all those meetings, and I will not throw you into jail. And so this good Samaritan was really showing initially mercy. He was not judging this man. Because we were talking about the fact that this road was the most dangerous road um, on the way to Jerusalem that anyone could walk. And, and so many times it would be very reasonable to say that if you saw somebody on the side of the road, your first thought would be, well, they deserve to be there if they're dumb enough you know, to walk this road or do whatever they're doing or not be protected, then they deserve what they got. And so what this good Samaritan did is he didn't do that. He didn't judge him. He didn't say, well, you deserve this. In fact, he showed him mercy, and he gave him the very thing he didn't deserve, which was mercy in the moment and then grace to help him heal. So let's look at this a little bit more. Jesus says, go behave like that Samaritan. And if you're just joining in, this is um, Luke, if you want the reference for it. It is Luke, let me see where my notes are one more time, chapter 10, 25 through 37. If you want to look it up, and I really recommend that you do that you read it in different versions. So let's look at the things that make up a good Samaritan, which is a good neighbor. So first of all, he noticed. Well, the other two in the story noticed as well. The priest and the Levite 
also noticed this man on the side of the road, but they kept walking. So the good neighbor noticed and stopped. He stopped. And what was the, what was the, the third thing he did? He cared. He cared about this man. He did not judge him. So he gave him mercy. He gave him grace. And then he valued him. And this is really important. When we're reading the story and we see that this particular gentleman was taken to the inn by the Samaritan. He was picked up, cleaned up, cleaned up all his wounds, attended to his wounds as best as he could, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper money so that he could spend the night there so this man could have time to recuperate. And, and then when he left to go do his job, he said, I'll be back in a couple of days. If he needs a little bit more money, I, I'll give him some. So we see that he valued him. And this is imperative when, when we are working with people that have chronic illnesses because there's lots of struggles that come with this. And there's lots of ways that we can judge and how we think they should be doing their treatments or not doing treatments or whatever it is that they're doing or not doing or how their behavior is or how their attitude is or why they got themselves in the situation, whatever it may be, that we are not to judge and we are to value these people. They belong to God. So if you are one of those people with a chronic issue, you need to also be a good neighbor to yourself. You need to care for yourself, not judge yourself, and value yourself. And so when, when we look at this in the writing, it says in, in verse um, 33, it says, Then a despised Samaritan journeyed by. And this Samaritan was, they used this word descriptively, despised, because the, the Samaritan people were very despised by the Jews. They were about as low class as you could possibly become. And so we wonder, wow, he was despised. Did that maybe give him more compassion for this man on the side of the road? That he had been ignored before. He's been despised by people. He's been walked on by people. He's been judged by people. Maybe this gave him some compassion, some empathy for this gentleman on the side of the road. So what you want to think about is, how can I relate to this person with this chronic illness? Now, you may not be able to relate to anything other than, have you been discouraged before? Have you felt hopeless before? Have you felt misunderstood by people? Have you felt ignored by people? Have you felt unwanted? Have you felt like the problem to people? And so what you want to think about is, this Samaritan who was despised, instead of giving to this man on the side of the road what he had experienced, he actually did the opposite. And as a despised person, he said to himself, I'm not going to despise this gentleman on the side of the road. And so lastly, when we look at this, we see that he had realistic expectations on this gentleman as well. So when he came up alongside of this gentleman, he didn't ask him for money right off the bat. He didn't say, well, how, how much do you have because this is going to cost you? I don't even know if the man could talk. It sounds like the man was in a coma practically. So he had realistic expectations on himself and the one who was sick. And this is paramount to us actually helping the ones that we love. That I need to have realistic expectations on myself and I have, need to have realistic expectations on the one that I am loving 
and I have to have realistic expectations on God, which is so amazing because being realistic about God means that God can do anything, and God can do the impossible. And that's who I'm expecting to do the impossible, not myself and not the person that is ill. And this is important that we really understand that when I'm noticing I stop, I care, I don't judge, I'm valuing this person that, that, is, that is ill. I'm trying to have empathy and compassion for them from a place where I might have felt despised before. And now I'm having realistic expectations on that person and on myself and on God. And I'm expecting God to do the impossible. I'm expecting God to come up with all the answers. I'm expecting God to do the healing. I'm expecting God to give us the grace and the mercy, the long-suffering, the insight, the wherewithal, whatever it is that we need, we are expecting God to give us those things. And so in this way, you will be a good neighbor. So more than anything that I love about this Good Samaritan, is that as he gave him mercy, the one thing that I want to encourage you all he just didn't harm the man. The man was already harmed, very harmed. So we have to understand that when we're dealing with people that have chronic illnesses, they are harmed. This is long-suffering. This is enduring. This is not going away, at least as far as they know. So what we want to do more than anything, even if we don't fix anything, let's just not make it worse for the person. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about the Good Samaritan and what that really means. You can also uh, listen to the show in its entirety on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And please check out the website because in about a month, we're going to have a brand new website. So thank you for joining me. Join me again. Well, thank you for joining me. And if you are just now tuning in, I want to encourage you to visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and that is C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com, and you can listen to the show in its entirety. Uh, remember that next week we're going to have the second half of this show, so you don't want to miss that. Also, visit my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's I-N-C for Incorporated. I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram and Pinterest and all those really fun things. So make sure you visit those. Now, today we are talking about actually helping the one you love. And I'm not delineating between uh, mental illness or chronic illness or um, chronic injury, whatever that may be. We are really talking about the person that is struggling that looks like this is going to be a chronic issue. So when we say chronic, we mean major depression, anxiety disorders, Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder can last for very long periods of time. I don't believe that post-traumatic stress disorder is for the rest of your life. But with the other ones that we know are some neurological issues when it comes to brain chemistry, we know that those things, unless God decides to heal us perfectly, that those may come with the DNA of of the way that we are made. And we are going to talk more about that later in the show. So we are talking about anything chronic that is long-term. And so that can be uh, cancer, that can be diabetes, whatever that fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, these types of things that are enduring for the person, that there doesn't seem to necessarily be an end in sight. And how are you going to be the good neighbor? 
And so we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. I want to encourage you to go to um, Luke chapter 10, starts at verse 25, ends at verse 37, and really read that story because we are using that as a template for how to be a Good Samaritan. So we left off saying that the one thing, this last thing the Good Samaritan did was he had realistic expectations on himself. He had realistic expectations on the man that was harmed. And he had realistic expectations on God. And so when we go back to this this analogy and this template that we're using, we see that when, when this Good Samaritan came up upon this man lying on the side of the road, we're hoping for this man that it's not long-term. But the way that it's described in this story, it describes the fact that he was probably unconscious. He had been, all of his clothes were taken off. He was beaten to a pulp, left naked, bleeding, in critical condition. You know, if he had lots of head injury, he may not recover from this. This may be a long-term issue. But the Good Samaritan wasn't trying to figure that out. The Good Samaritan simply came upon the scene, noticed him, cared for him, valued him, did not judge him, and gave him what he had. So he had realistic expectations on himself, on the man that was suffering, and on God. And so he didn't try to be a doctor. He just simply said, wow, this guy is really hurt, really hurt. And everybody else is walking by him. And first of all, he's naked. He should be covered. So I want to just take a little kind of tangent here on this idea that this man is laying naked on the side of the road. And how humiliating is that? So when we look at being a good Samaritan, we also look at the idea of covering. And I want to talk for a couple of minutes about this idea because this is very, very important. And I use this frequently in my practice because there is a big difference between privacy and secrecy. And humans need privacy as a psychological um, need. In fact, if you think about one of the ways that we torture people is to take away their privacy. That is how much humans need privacy to be sane. This is different than secrecy. Secrecy makes us sick. Secrecy causes us to be dishonest. Secrecy causes us to be inauthentic. And so therapy offers people privacy to talk about their secrets so they can get healthy. So there's a lot of covering that happens in therapy, which means that if I see them out in public, they're even allowed to be anonymous, so I ignore them unless they want to say hi to me. So their privacy is protected everywhere. Nobody knows who sees me. Nobody knows any of those things about them. I don't talk to people about the people by their name that I, that I treat. And so they are allowed all kinds of privacy as they are working on those issues. So covering is imperative. And we see also the story of Noah um, when they had been in the, you know, in the ocean or whatever it was, when the earth was flooded for 40 days, 40 nights, they get off the boat, they have grapes, Noah makes some wine, he gets drunk, he's naked. His youngest son walks, upon, walks up upon him, sees him naked, laughs, goes and gets his brother and is laughing at his father. And the brothers scold the other brother, the youngest brother. They walk away, get a blanket, walk in backwards so they don't see their father's nakedness, and they cover him. Now, they cover him first and foremost because this is not a lifestyle for Noah. He wasn't a drunkard before he got on the, on the ark. So they're covering whatever the situation that he is in. 
So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about the Good Samaritan actually helping the one you love. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me. If you are just tuning in, make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And you can listen to the show in its entirety. This is a two-week series, and it is called Actually Helping the One You Love. And so we are taking our direction from the story of the Good Samaritan and what being a good neighbor is. And what Jesus said at the very end of that story, he said, well then, go and behave like that Samaritan. So we are looking at what the Samaritan did that Jesus was saying was so great, that this is what he wanted this young scholar to emulate, this Samaritan. And so we, were, we left on, off on that last segment talking about the difference between secrecy and privacy and covering. And that what we do with people with chronic illnesses is that we are very careful about how much we disclose to other people, how we talk about them, how we talk to them. And, and we want to make sure that if we have somebody that has a chronic mental, mental illness or that has a chronic enduring addiction, that uh, whatever it is that's going on with them, um, cancer, chronic fatigue, Epstein-Barr, the, these different chronic long-term maybe diabetes, these types of things that that cause their life to be altered, that they have to really work around. And many times maybe they don't want to work around it. And so they may be behaving in ways that are very frustrating to us, and we may feel like we're losing some compassion or some empathy. Well, one of the ways that we cover people is we make sure that we have a safe person to talk to. So if you have someone in your family that is a chronic alcoholic, it might help you to go to Al-Anon, to be able to have a safe place that is with people that understand what you are dealing with. And that is still maintaining privacy versus talking to your neighbor about it, right, or the person at the grocery store, or maybe some of your family members that aren't necessarily safe to talk to. So when we are really being a good neighbor, it doesn't mean that we keep secrets. It means that we cover, that we value the person enough to say, Is it okay if I share this with my Bible study? I would love for them to pray for you. Is that okay with you? Are you comfortable with that? And so that's part of good boundaries, which is where we are going to really spend some time. And so we're going to spend the rest of this hour on boundaries. Make sure that you join in next week because we are going to finish the second half of this this whole entire lecture. So to be a good neighbor, I must have good boundaries. To be a good caregiver, to really, really help the one that I love, I need good boundaries. This means I need to know where I end and you begin. It also means I need to know where I end and God begins. Because many times we start to take on what really is God's job when it comes to caring for his people. It's kind of like if you think of yourself as in a family and and you have a sibling that is sick or injured. And you start taking on the parent role and thinking that you need to drive them to the doctor when you're only 13. So this is kind of what we do with God sometimes, is that we lose track of where we end and what our responsibility actually is and what God is actually asking us to do. 
and what God is going to do. So that's why this is so important, the story of the Good Samaritan, because it really specifically helps us to have realistic expectations on ourselves. And in that first hour, we talked about those really realistic expectations that I know where I end, you begin. I know what I'm able to do financially, emotionally, spiritually, socially, physically. So if the person that I'm caring for weighs 250 pounds and I maybe maybe this is my husband and, and we're elderly and I'm 65, 75 trying to care for my husband who weighs 250, probably I can't lift him. And if I do, I will harm myself. So I probably need to get help. So it's really thinking about these five arenas. The social, psychological, emotional. Well, I know I'm not going to be a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can be a good support person. What does that mean? How about intellectually? I'm not an MD, so I can educate myself as best as I can, but I don't have the education that many of those people do. So I want to make sure I take advantage of them. Spiritually. Well, spiritually, I can pray for them. I can encourage them with the word. I can love them. I can show mercy. I can show grace. But I probably need to have some other people helping me with that because I might have my faith falter sometimes, and I might be overwhelmed or feel weary in well-doing. So spiritually, I need to have realistic expectations on myself. And spiritually, this is where we get into issues with God where we think God should do it one way or isn't doing something and maybe that's because I'm not doing something so I'm going to try harder and that's our area of trust with God that he loves this person that we love more than we ever could and is committed to this person in more ways than we have ever been and wants to be with this person for eternity and is committed to the well-being of this person and we can trust that and trust the process this person is going through. So we want to look at those areas, socially, physically, emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, and spiritually. Where are the, are the boundaries in that area? So I need to know what I have control over, and what I must accept, and what I must respect. This is really important. I need to know what I must accept, and I need to know what I must respect. And I need to know what I actually have control over. So let's talk about this one about respect. Because this is a tough one. When we have people in our lives that we love very much, and they don't want to do treatment the way we think they should, or they don't want to take advantage of things that we think would really, really help them, uh, they don't want to take medication or... They don't want to do radiation or chemotherapy, and we think they should. Or maybe they want to, and we think they shouldn't. Maybe they want to take medication, we think they shouldn't take medication for depression. Maybe they really should quit drinking, and we know they should quit drinking, and they don't want to quit drinking. What do we do in these situations? And this is one of the things I learned a long time ago as a psychotherapist that has helped me tremendously. And that is I learned that everybody has the right to mess up their life. And I have to accept that and respect that. I have no control over that. And this is one of the most amazing things to me about God, is that God gives the gift of life to every single human being that has ever been born and has lived on the planet. And it is a gift. 
And if you've ever given somebody a gift, you're not supposed to put qualifiers on it. The worst gift givers are the ones that give you a gift and tell you how to use it, right? Or tell you what to do with it or tell you what not to do with it. Or give it to you because they have ulterior motives. The gift is a gift. And God gives us the gift of life and we are allowed to spend it however we choose. And that's tough because I don't think a lot of us choose well how we spend our life. So when I love people that have chronic issues, I have to respect the way they want to do their life. Now, you have to understand, and I want to, to, to make sure that we understand boundaries, that the way they choose to live their life may also mean that they need to respect the fact that I might not be a big part of their life. And that's about boundaries. That's about me knowing what I'm actually able to do and able to do well. And so many times we might have to set boundaries that say, you don't have to quit drinking, but you are then not allowed to, to drive my car. And if that means you lose your job, then that's part of your choice. That's not me doing it to you. And so it's about understanding boundaries. What if we have someone that's, that um, has decided they are ready to die, they've been uh, dealing with a chronic illness, maybe like cancer, and we still want them to fight, and they don't want to fight anymore. What do we do with that? How do I actually be a good neighbor and do no harm to that person? Well, I respect and I accept that it is their life. Now, you always have to remind you, yourselves, I'm giving you generalizations, so there's all kinds of different situations that I'm not wanting you to get confused about. If that's the case, I want you to go talk to somebody about the things that I am saying. Because this is important overall generalizations that we can apply. And it doesn't mean they apply all the time, everywhere, to every situation. Especially it might be a little bit different if you have children that have chronic issues that are under your care. If you have elderly parents that have chronic conditions that are under your care. If you have someone that, that has uh, been, uh, in many ways, uh, wounded to the point that they can't take care of themselves. Well, then sometimes if we have power of attorney, then we really do make the decisions. And we have to really ask for God's guidance and his grace and his wisdom, how to best honor that person that we are making those decisions for if they are not able to make them themselves. So we have to be aware and responsible as well, well for our own well-being. This is imperative. Imagine what all of us would feel like if God took so much time taking care of us, he never took care of himself, and he called in sick. What would happen? Oh my gosh, what would the world do? Well, we see a great example of Christ, that he took such good care of himself, and he still was able to love people, still do his ministry, still do so many miracles the, 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 the Bible talks about the fact that John says at the, at the end of his chapter that, wow, there isn't enough books on the planet to hold the amount of miracles Jesus did. At that time, I think I heard the saying that there were 600,000 known books at that time when, when Christ was on the earth. And, and John is saying that there is 600,000 books could not hold the amount of miracles that, that Jesus did while he was on the earth. So we know that Jesus did supernatural things and worked really, really hard, still took really good care of himself so that he was actually able to do the ministry that God called him to do. He had really good boundaries. He really had expect realistic expectations on himself. He knew he needed to eat. 
He knew he needed to sleep. He knew he needed time alone with his father. He knew he had to practice forgiveness. He knew he had to respect decisions that people were making on the earth at that time. He knew what he was going to control and what he was not going to control. And really, truly, he was God. He could have controlled everything if he wanted. So when we're really thinking about boundaries, we have to understand that I need to know where I begin, where the other person, where I, where I end and where the other person begins. I need to know what I have control over, what I must accept, what I must respect. I need to be aware and responsible for my own well-being. And lastly, as we are winding up this hour, I need to be responsible for my feelings and my actions and my intentions. So when we are helping someone with chronic illness, we have really big feelings about a lot of things. We might have really big feelings about the government, about doctors, about lawyers, about neighbors of ourselves, about people at school that are handling our children, about coworkers. We may be mad at the person that is ill. We may have all kinds of feelings about the person that's ill, good and bad and ugly and sad and all kinds of things. We have to be responsible for those feelings and we have to do those feelings well so that those feelings don't start to cloud our own judgment and jeopardize the relationship with a person that we're actually trying to love. We need to be responsible for our actions. So what, what am I doing in response to this person's life? Or how am I reacting because of this person's life? And I need to be responsible for my intentions. If I have negative intentions, I need, to, I, I need to forgive myself. I need to get a handle on it. If I have positive intentions, I need to do the best to make, that I can to make sure they manifest. So we are going to end the show today. I appreciate you listening, and I, I am hoping that this helps. I think it really does. And we are going to finish this entire message next week. So I want to make sure that you join me next week. And that's at 4 o'clock, 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. Radio, and make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. I always love your comments and questions. Visit me on Facebook, Cynthia Hyatt, Inc., Science Saver Incorporated. Have a blessed week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, You can hear a replay at any time at faithtalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.